Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. So, we're happy to have our brother Frankie Gomez with us this morning, and we're going to have, invite him to come now and share what the Lord has laid on his heart for us for our Bible Instruction Time. I think it's all the way in. All right. So good morning. Um, I've, to be honest, I've never been more nervous to deliver a message, but I've never been more sure that is the Holy Spirit that laid this on my heart to share. We read a portion from Exodus 32 this morning. Um, a, couple of, a couple of passages from Scripture have been weighing heavy on me this week, especially since Wednesday. I talked with um, a few... A few of the, the guys I grew up with um, down at Bible Truth this week, just about what's been going on. Um, I've talked with um, some of the guys from camp that called me, wanted to know what I thought about what, what's happening. One of them I know has been very active, very active um, posting political things for the last four years, um, four and a half years, and... He told me on Wednesday he felt like Aaron when Moses came down. He felt like Aaron. He felt like um, he had just given way to people that were like him, that he felt like maybe he could trust and just it got out of, got out of hand. Um, so Exodus 32, I've been in it quite a bit, and also Matthew 24 um, as well. Mark 13, Matthew 24. In, in, Mark, in Mark's version, we see that it was the four, the four closest disciples that went to Jesus and asked the question. Um, I had my bookmark in Matthew 24. Um, Verses 23 to 28, especially, but it was, it, it was Peter and Andrew, James and John, who after Jesus' lament over Jerusalem, they went to Jesus and they said, can you tell us more? Tell us more. When are these things going to happen? What are going to be the signs that they're about to happen? The end of the world. How will we know it's coming? Obviously, we know it's, we're 2,000 years past. And that's part of the Exodus 32 thing, right? Like, you know, this Moses, we don't know what's going on with him. We're just going to, we want to set up our own way of worship here. We're going to set up our own gods. Remember, yeah, we're free, and this is why we're free, this golden calf. 
But in Matthew 24, verses 23 to 28, Jesus warns them about, in the meantime, in the meantime, starting in verse 23, then if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Um, and we'll, um, we'll stop there um, for the sake of time, because I do have a lot I want to share. Um, uh, these false prophets and these, these false Christs, they, they will even get to the fringe. They will even get quite possibly to the elect and try their hardest. Um, I, I also had a lot of coworkers come to me this week. And, you know, th- it's been... Uh, this year, we, we have a couple of new teachers, and I know one of them came to me and it, it, earlier in the year and said, you, you must be a believer. I said, I, I, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, she said, I could tell. I could tell. Um, just the way that you carry, the way, it's a crazy year, and just you're still smiling, and you're always, I, just the, um, the patience. Um, and... She's also professed Christ. Um, I overheard a conversation with one of her teammates blaming her for what happened and her beliefs for what happened this week. Those are your people. Um, a lot of people say that this is the fall of a, the fall of a nation the fall of a nation. Um, thinking back to the, the first century and what first century and a little, maybe even a little bit after, um, believers, what they went through, um, the only thing that would equate would be the fall of Rome. And at the fall of Rome, um, there was a Roman poet, um, Juvenal, uh, and he wrote, a list of, he wrote a lot of satires about the fall of Rome and about the leading up to the fall of Rome. And one thing that he said um, about how that Republic fell, he said, we sold our vote to no man and that no man meaning just any man, because he's not a certain man. We sold our vote to a no man. It didn't matter who we voted for, just who we didn't vote for. The citizenry has abdicated her duties. The people who once upon a time appointed military commanders, high civil officers, legion commanders, now restrains itself and anxiously hopes for just two things, bread and circuses. And you may have heard the the line bread and circuses before. It's become kind of synonymous with just gluttony kind of just uh, all we want is, is to be fed and to be entertained. Um, you know, I think of, and that hits me um, pretty hard 
as just someone who's grown up, it, it hits me as the American dream, bread and circuses, um, to live a, a, a comfortable life, to have entertainment at my fingertips. Um, has that been the goal of my life, to be comfortable? Um, in, in Matthew 24, really, the disciples that are asking Jesus this is they don't want to be comfortable. They want to know. They want to be able to watch unto prayer. How will we know these things? And it, it's an active look for how the Lord is working and what's going to come to pass. They didn't just passively receive that instruction. They wanted to know the specifics so that they could watch for it. So what about those verses in Matthew 24 about the false Christ, the false prophets? They will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And I believe that fringe of people that, if possible, even the elect, would be the ones that James wrote about, maybe even, um, that say they have faith that say they have faith. Um, you know, in the, last, in the last four and a half years, a lot of people who say they have faith have aligned themselves. They've aligned themselves with, with a, a politician who is vulgar at the podium, who's, who's abusive towards rivals, especially women. And he's been able to, to gather these people that say they have faith so close to him and to champion him. Someone who has said he would never ask God forgiveness for anything. How that flies in the face of what we believe. What signs and wonders have happened over the last four and a half years um, The, the church is splitting. The American Christianity is splitting at the seams across socioeconomic lines, racial lines, splitting over politics. Not over soteriology, not over Christology, not over doctrine, but over politics. That's a sign in wonder, a wonder. that flags bearing a, a Nazi swastika on one side would have Jesus saves on the other side. Nazi flags and Confederate flags with Trump flags and American flags all together and a gallows with a noose hanging on it and people wearing shirts that say Jesus saves, God will have the victory. What can we do? How can, how can we, as true believers, how can we stand out? How can we stand out? Well, 
while Jesus had, while his earthly ministry was going, and while he was growing up, and as he started his ministry, there were politics of the day. And the Pharisees were on the scriptural side of the politics. The Pharisees believed in the full inspiration of the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. They, they believed in the resurrection. They lived holy lives on the outside. They were blameless among their peers. And that, that the people would say, when Jesus said, your, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, they said, well, then who can, who can, be, who, who can be saved? But in what word did Jesus ever praise the Pharisees? Did he ever align himself with them? Did he ever say, well, they're better than the Sadducees? This is better than Rome. There are people today that would seek to, that, that would seek to, to lead astray people from Jesus using what they call the historical Jesus, and they say he was a political activist. We know he was not. He was the son of God. We can, we can stand apart from these people who say they have faith by having enough faith to be politically homeless. that we can still stand up and help the oppressed, the poor. We can still help the destitute. Being politically homeless is fine. Shouldn't exile be the normal state of affairs for the Christian in this world? And if my faith is so indistinguishable from my politics. If I, if I can't do it, then is my God my politics and my party? And politics themselves are as cruel and merciless a tyrant that has ever, that has ever been on the earth. Again, when Rome fell, um, Augustine pointed to Hebrews eleven sixteen. Um, we have a city, a city that will outlast all others. We have a country which we can see from afar off. Paul says we have a better citizenship. Philippians three twenty. We have a citizenship which is in heaven. For now, here we we have a republic in America, and we can keep it. I pray that we keep it. But most importantly, we have a witness. A witness that should be for integrity. Not just integrity with our people, but with all people. A witness that should be for peace. Not just when our people want peace. And for truth, even when that truth comes at a cost personally or economically.
Countries can fall. They will fall. This one will fall too. All nations. I hope it doesn't in my lifetime. But either way, especially this week, I've purposed that my testimony and my witness will not fall with it. I mentioned being people of truth. People of truth. Pilate asked the Lord Jesus in his trial, what is truth? The Lord Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. One thing that the Lord Jesus said um, about, um, about what we say and what we speak out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think maybe among us that, that truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one uh, that don't just say we have faith, but we have lived a life of faith. I think, and I know I speak for myself when I say my failing, my failing in the last four and a half years has not been that I've, that I've fallen for outlandish conspiracy theories. It hasn't been that I've fallen in love with a political figure that I would ever lay down my life for a man who claims he's president, as many did put their own lives in jeopardy. Um, the problem has been that I, as someone who have not, and maybe the same for you, who have not fallen for this, but that have been maybe afraid to speak out or to speak my mind or to correct. I don't know how many of you have been scrolling through social media and seeing a believer or someone who has a testimony post something that is blatantly false, just easily check, a quick fact check, and then said, I'm not going to bother with it. I'm not going to bother with it. I go down the rabbit hole too far with somebody. I, I'm not going to bother with it. Maybe it, it's time that we do bother with it. Maybe it's time that we do. We see someone in scripture implores us that if we see someone that's beset with a sin or falling into sin, that those of us that think ourselves spiritual should come alongside. Come alongside and seek reconciliation for the brother or the sister. Um, we, we can't let the, the witness of those around us fall. It, it, brings, it brings the, the witness of the Lord Jesus down. If those that know the truth don't speak up for the truth. I know many of us in our own personal lives, uh, our unsaved friends um, tend to be aligned with us a little bit more conservative. Even though they're not believers, they're conservative. They believe in law and order. They respect um, those in authority over them. So we kind of, those are our friends, our acquaintances. Um, I'll tell you on, on Wednesday afternoon, I, as things happen, after all of the students left, um, we ended up, we had... Um, a positive COVID case on campus. So we were there late. 
um, trying to do the contact tracing and things like that. So a lot of us were around and it was a group of us that were conservative, um, some true believers in the mix and some others that aren't um, still, you know, a life characterized with sin, but, but conservative politically, you know, they don't mind being around us. Is that, is that something that we should be looking at? Did the Pharisees love to be around the disciples? <laughs> Did they love to be around Jesus? Did they feel comfortable in his presence, um, comfortable, um, comfortable enough to be themselves and not kind of point out what he was doing wrong. Um, but the news of um, the woman being shot kind of came through our phones. And one of these that we know isn't a believer, but at times she does bring up the name of the Lord. She has, um, you know, she, she respects the church and, um, and people who go to church and religion. And, you know, she's named the Lord's name in a respectful way, but um, not a believer. Um, she said out loud, laughing, um, I pray it was Pelosi when she heard of the woman that was shot. Um, the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. We're called to be like our Lord. And, and thankfully in this situation, there wasn't a lot of laughter, a couple of giggles, um, but not a lot of laughter at the joke. And she kind of looked down and apologized and said, sorry, it wasn't as funny as I thought it would be. Um, but why would she think it would be funny in the presence of people who are believers? Have we laughed at some derogatory jokes towards people that don't align with us politically before? Why do we mix our words when it comes to politics sometimes? It's okay to talk. It's okay to talk so negatively and derogatorily towards our political rivals. Um, C.S. Lewis wondered at that in his day too. He called it um, a desire to be in the inner ring. See, if, if we're going to gain power and influence as Christians, what do we, we have to compromise something. We have to, if we're going to gain power and influence over the secular world, we compromise things to be, that's this, this desire to be in the inner ring, to be close to it. And we say, well, maybe if I get close to it, I can, I can change things. If I get close to it, I can change things. Now, this was the great failing of the Catholic Church, the great failing of Rome. If we can get close to it, if we can maybe, maybe mingle it with power, we can force our views on, on people and it'll just be a better world. We know what turned the world upside down in the first century was the witness of the disciples about the Lord Jesus. Not that they had any power politically, um, but that they preached the Lord Jesus and him crucified. I know most Christians have not made their party their idol. I, I know that many of us have not, have not meant to. I know that. But we have gotten cozy over the years with this charade that 
that Christianity can be boiled down into, into politics. And maybe we haven't separated it out of fear. Um, but the sheep and goats analogy, I've seen this run. The sheep and goats analogy is not about political lines. Um, I, I've seen those that would seem as pillars to use words that Paul uses. Those in today's Christian church at large use the goats analogy politically. Um, that's, that's, that's mixing scripture. That's taking scripture out of context. That's, that's taking the words of the Lord Jesus in vain. Too many of us also, we've used apocalyptic language to describe things not of the apocalypse that's described in Scripture. You know, every election is made out to be our last hope for freedom. Every political ideology that doesn't coincide with ours is going to destroy the very fabric of our nation. The real harm in this language, and really for the generations that have passed these last years, the real harm is that we have a generation that we see, and we've opined on this before, that just moves from one crisis to the other. It's from one thing to the next, one end of the world, one end of the world situation to the next. And everything is the end of the world. And really, nobody really believes it, but they treat it like that. They yell out about it like that, that this is the end. You know, stoking passions like that is, is dangerous, dangerous business. And I want to go back to Exodus 32. Back to Exodus 32, and I... I can't get that out of my head. My, my brother that mentioned feeling like going into work the next day and feeling like Aaron. And we read those first eight verses and what happened with Aaron? Um, you know, Aaron had been totally left as far, he'd been left alone he was by himself. Um, it wasn't just Moses that Moses was all the way up on top of the mountain, but do you know who was halfway up the mountain about Joshua the other pillar, like Moses is right. hand man, it wasn't just Moses that was gone. It was Joshua too. And I think, you know, Joshua, Joshua being gone really left Aaron in a bind. And maybe sometimes we are by ourselves as, a, as the Christian in the workplace or the Christian in our, in our group, and we're by ourselves. Not only is the Lord Jesus not here, um, but we don't have someone else that, that we share a testimony with. And that's a tough place. Aaron was in a tough place. But he gave in so quickly. And we read those first eight verses. I want to read the, 
the interaction between Moses and Aaron, starting in verse 21, Exodus 32, 21. And Moses said unto Aaron, what did this people unto you that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? What did the people do to you? Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. You know the people, that, that they're set on mischief. That was the refrain of a lot of people. You know, I, I, I am on social media, I'm on Twitter and, and Facebook, and I see a lot of people, a lot of people running back some of the things that they've said over the last four years in support of a person that, that never really held to their values or in support of a group of people that have never really held to their values. It wasn't a sudden thing. It wasn't a sudden thing that people with swastikas are holding signs that say Jesus saves. That's, that's been a slow, a, a slow climb. You know, the, the Christians and the true Christians that lived in that period, they hid Jews. They, 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 they worked in secret against that political party, um, not with it. Um, there, there's a lot of people that are now walking back some things that they've said, uh, like Aaron was doing here when Moses approached him. Um, You know the people, you know the people that they're set on mischief. For they said unto me, make us gods, which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become him. You were gone for too long. You were gone for too long. And I said unto them, whosoever hath any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. And I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. I, had, I really had nothing to do with it. I was, just, I was just kind of an intermediary for the people. You know, they gave, me, they gave me their gold. They gave me their money. They gave me, that's another part, part in this, the money. They gave me their money. They gave me their precious metals. I threw it in the fire, and this is what happened. You know, it wasn't Aaron saying it, it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my idea to make a golden calf. He was intimidated by the crowds. He relented. He collected their gold and threw it in the fire. But earlier in the chapter, we see he's the one that, that framed it. He's the one that molded it. At that time, Aaron was their leader. Moses was up on top of the mountain. Joshua was was halfway up there. And being popular with the people can help one achieve a a lot of things, a lot of personal goals in the short run. But what will we do? What will we do when the end comes? 
If that's our goal, if that's our goal is, is bread and circuses, if, that, if that's our goal in life, the American dream, if that's what we fight for, for our kids, and that, if that's our aim, what will we do when the end comes? It will probably feel like Aaron when the Lord comes back. We'll probably feel like Aaron. Um, we can fit in with our non-Christian peers that are conservative by, you know, feigning outrage at the right things. But it, it ends up costing us true personal righteousness when we're not outraged by truly outrageous things. When we're silent. Um, enough should have been enough a long time ago. Um, as, as a country, it, it might take years to, to rebuild. At least the, the conservative party is going to, it's going to take a while to rebuild. Um, it, it doesn't, Christians shouldn't take a while to rebuild. If you feel maybe your witness has been, has been hampered by this week's events, if you feel like your witness is kind of torn down, um, by what happened. If not, that's, that's great. If your witness hasn't been taken down, if you've been able, I know I haven't stood up against lies and deceit. I haven't stood up against it enough. Um, but we need to start rebuilding right away and seeking to rebuild our witness right away. And we can start by acknowledging the truth of what's going on right now. We have a new elected president. Millions of babies are still being aborted. That's true. And that is wrong. The coronavirus pandemic is real. It's going across the globe. So is racial injustice, both person to person and systemic. So is sexual abuse of women and children. If we are a people of the truth, we, we need to acknowledge reality. We should be the first to acknowledge reality. In the past, I know a lot of us have been proud. I've been proud to be from the United States of America. Uh, I enjoy my country. Hopefully not to the point of bread and circuses, and I pray that never again. I pray that there's never a time that I'm ashamed of where I'm from. But I do acknowledge the shortcomings of any government. This country began, began by being okay with condemnable injustices. And there are still injustices today. All countries and governments are flawed. But that speaks to the reality of the world that we live in. We live in a fallen world. We, we should expect that there, our governments will be defective. Because people are defective. Our faith should not be our, our hope for our future should not be in governments or financial systems. It shouldn't be in that. Uh, our, 
Our hope should not rest on the shoulders of men and on banks. There is only one whom the burden of our salvation and the burden of our hope for the future, there's only one that that burden can rest on who can take that burden and his name is Jesus. Any hope that we have for the future is in his hands for this life that we're living now and for our life eternal. Any other is going to end in failure. Any other hope, any other hope is going to fail us. Uh, having a democratic republic does not save us. It is not our salvation. There are millions of Christians around the world with terrible, tyrannical governments installed over them. And they still proclaim the name of Jesus. Capitalism had never saved us. It's never kept us. No president, past or future or current, is our salvation. Nor should we look to them to make our lives more comfortable. We want real change. Real change in the world that we live in. Do we want real change in our own hearts? Do I want real change daily being conformed more to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do, do I want that in my life? If you're here this morning and you're still looking for salvation, if you're in either boat, turn to Jesus, Jesus Christ and him alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. Let's close in prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you this morning for the, the witness that you've given us. Many of us in our circles of, of friends, in our circles of acquaintances, in our jobs, they know that we are Christians. They know that we name the name of Jesus. They know that we pray. They know that we read our Bibles. Lord, help us to stand apart, even from those that live good lives, that, that are good people, but are not saved. Help us to stand apart, not just as an, an option for a lifestyle, but as the only way to salvation. Lord, we thank you for your word that we can cling to. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in us, and that leads us into all truth and convicts us of sin and the shortcomings in our life. And we pray that we would, that, that we would not grieve the spirit that is in us, that we would not quench the spirit that is in us, but that we would seek to be more and more like your son, our savior, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would never have an instance where we feel like Aaron when Moses and Joshua came down from the mountain, that we're caught with an idol in our hands or in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would show us how to keep the Lord Jesus on that figurative throne in our hearts, that he would be the preeminence, 
the first thought in our mind. And we pray that we would be a people that is able to acknowledge the truth, the, the truth about the reality of what's going on in the world, but most importantly, the truth about how salvation is available to all them that believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would take us back to our homes in safety. Now we pray that you would help us to keep our witnesses clean among those on the outside. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.